as I mentioned, today's a family Sunday. So kids, you are going to stay in here with us. You've got your bulletin. You have your coloring sheet. So as we get into the sermon today, you've got some things to be listening for, things you can write down, and you can hear God speak to you today through his word the same way God speaks to the rest of us, all of us adults who are in here week after week. Today is actually the 19th week in this study in the book of Exodus. And the title of our message this morning is Sharing the Story. Sharing the Story. Now, if you have your, your bulletin there, there's a spot for that, for the title of the message, Sharing the Story. And you can have mom or dad help you write that down if you need some help on your bulletin, Sharing the Story. If you have your Bible in here today, young or old, I'll invite you to grab that and turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, which is where we'll be in the text this morning. And we're going to look at something that I would bet is not the typical emphasis you have heard when you've looked at the story of Exodus chapter 18. In fact, I was talking with a good friend of mine today who's a pastor himself, and, and we were talking about uh, the, the worship gathering, and I, we were talking about what he was going to preach, I was talking about what I was going to preach, and I, I said, I'm preaching out of Exodus 18, and he said, ah, yeah, so this is what you're preaching, and listed it out, and I said, no. <laughs> he said, oh, okay, pro- probably this is what you're going to emphasize then. I said, no. And we went back and forth a little bit, he's like, I give up, what, what's your emphasis? And I said, my emphasis this morning is something I bet somebody hasn't heard before, Some of us haven't ever really given much thought to because it's a small part of the story of Exodus chapter 18. But this morning, I feel like God wants us to hear it because this text, this part of Exodus 18, applies to every single one of us in this room, young or old, equally the same. So, in the future, we'll talk about the principles that you're probably thinking of if you're looking at the text, and, ah, it's the, okay, Moses and and Jethro, I get it, so how the church is is organized because of how Israel is organized. That's not the point today. Today, we'll focus on that in another date. Today, we're going to talk about something from a smaller section at the beginning of Exodus chapter 18. Now, before I read the text, I have a question for the kids in particular. We'll give them a chance to to figure it out first, which gives you adults more time to think about it if you need the extra time, okay? So, kids, all throughout this entire series, when I have been reading from the book of Exodus, I have been reading it a little bit different than how you would read it in your English Bible. I explained a while back, in fact, I explained the last time you guys were in here, Exodus series uh, week eight, you were in here, and I explained all of this before, so you may have to think back, because it's been a while, but there's a bit of a code word that's used in the Bible, and we see it a lot in the Bible. In fact, we see it over 6,400 times in the Bible. It's all over the place, and every time you see it, I told you, you should understand, it's like a code word is being used. The name of God, this personal covenantal name of God, is what's in the Bible originally, but the people of God wanted very much to honor the name of God, and so they put a code word in there so that people would know that's the name of God being used, but we don't want to say the name of God, we're going to say this code word. Anyone remember, in English, what you would read all those times in the Bible? Summer, what is it? Well, that's the answer. Okay, so you're already way ahead of me. Summer's like, we don't need to answer the questions and build up. I've got it. Yes. Uh, Summer said the word is Yahweh. So the word, the name of God that, Mo- that God revealed to Moses, the burning bush. Everybody remember the burning bush? Young and old, we remember the burning bush? Okay, all right. So if you remember the burning bush, God told Moses. Moses said, what is your name? And God said, Yahweh, which means I am who I am. He doesn't ever change. He's not a God who grows like you and I grow. He's not a God who's going to decide to be different one day than a different day. He is the same forever. 
which is an amazing truth about God. And that name, I am who I am, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. And so in English, people want to revere the name of God and respect the name of God a lot. And so instead of writing out Yahweh all the time in the Bible, they put this code in there. If you look at your Bible, you'll see in English, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. They did that because the Hebrews put their word Adonai in the text, which means Lord. And so in English, like I said, you'll read this over 6,400 times. No matter if you read the ESV, the King James, the NIV, the NLT, over 6,400 times in all those translations, you will find the Lord written in the English Bible. And what that is, is for you and I to recognize a code for the name of God, Yahweh. Now, when I've been reading the text all throughout this series, I've been unpacking the code. And instead of saying the Lord, I will say Yahweh. And I'm going to do that again this morning. So now you know when you hear what I'm about to read, if you look on the screen and it looks different, or you see it in your Bible and it's different, you understand I'm saying Yahweh because that is the name of God that he revealed to Moses. And in English, we put the Lord as our code word for it. So let's jump into the text. Exodus chapter 18, verses 7 to 12 this morning. 7 to 12. Now Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that they had come upon them in the way and how Yahweh had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, this is true of all of us, whether we're young and we're just reading a story for the very first time, or we've read through the Bible every single year, year after year after year, there's a temptation for all of us to sometimes gloss over the moments like this. And these little details that find their way in the text of Scripture. And we kind of read them and, oh, okay, interesting. And we move on to some of the more well-known parts or something that we think is a little more interesting sometimes in a text. But when we do that, we miss really important things that God wants us to know. There's a reason God put everything he put into the Bible, even these little details. So... We're going to look at these details, these five verses today, and unpack something that applies, like I said, to every one of us, whether we are four years old or whether we are 94 years old. This is what God is saying to all of us, what God wants from all of us. So adults in the room, you've been in here, uh, most of you, for most at least of the last 18 sermons in the book of Exodus, and that means you should know quite a bit about the life of Moses, because we've looked at a lot of the life of Moses leading up to this point. 
But kids, I'm betting you guys know quite a bit about the life of Moses, too. You've probably heard of Moses. How many kids have heard about Moses in Sunday school or kids' church before? Show of hands. You heard about Moses? Yeah, we know Moses. Okay. So you probably know a bit about Moses, but just in case you've forgotten some things, we're going to help each other out, and we're going to remember a little bit about the life of Moses and some of the big parts of Moses' story, okay? So actually, the last time you were in here, again, going back to week eight in our series, we talked about how Moses was born at a time that was a really scary time. There was a really evil leader, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He was an evil, evil man. He was trying to destroy God's people. And one of the ways he tried to do that was he said that every baby boy who is born to the Israelite people needs to be killed. And Moses is born, a little baby boy, and and what are his parents going to do? His parents loved him very much, and they didn't want to see him killed, and so they hid baby Moses for three months. And at about three months, I guess Moses must have gotten a little bit loud because it was hard to hide him. They had to figure out, what are we going to do to protect our little baby boy who we love so much? When they couldn't hide the little baby Moses anymore, what did they do, kids? Someone help me out. What, did, what happened to baby Moses when he was three months old? Something unique and special. Summer. Mm-hmm. You're right. They made a basket out of reeds, and they put Moses in the basket, and they put Moses into the Nile River to try and protect him so that no guards would come and find the baby Moses in his home and kill him. And so how many of you were ever put into a little basket and floated down a river? Anybody? No. That's pretty crazy. That's something that happened to Moses that doesn't happen to the rest of us, right? So already Moses' story is kind of different than our stories are. But the story gets even more unique. Somebody finds Moses in the basket in the Nile River. Who found the baby Moses in the Nile River? Anybody? Who found? Um, the queen and the king's daughter. The king's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter, found the baby Moses. And what did she do? Anybody remember what did she do? She said, oh no, there's a little baby boy. And my, my dad, the king of Egypt, said we're supposed to kill them. What did she do? What'd she do, Summer? She took him as her own. She adopted the little baby Moses. So little baby Moses' story is so unique. He's been put in a basket. He's been floated down a river. He's been adopted now by none other than a daughter of Pharaoh. Moses grows up as a prince of Egypt. He lives in the palace. How amazing is all of that? When Moses grows up, he's about 40 years old, and Moses decides, I can't just live as a prince. I can't live with all this luxury, all these great things that I have living in the palace. When my people, the people that I came from, the families I was born into, they're suffering at the hand of this evil king. And so Moses says, I'm going to to deliver. I'm going to save my people. And he tries to do that by killing a guard who's been acting cruel towards the Israelite people. But That was not God's plan for how he was going to deliver Israel from Egypt. And so Moses has to flee. He runs away from Egypt, from the palace, from everything he's ever known, and he spends 40 years living in the wilderness. Moses' story, again, is quite a bit different than most of our stories. His story, really, the events that we've looked at for the bulk of our time pick up when Moses is 80 years old. His story really begins with the Exodus events. During those 40 years, we learned that Moses got married, and Moses had a son. And the father-in-law to Moses was a man who we just read about in the text, and the man we're going to look at this morning, whose name was Jethro. 
Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. Now, what we know about Jethro is that Jethro was a priest of Midian, which means his job was to be kind of like a pastor, but he didn't worship the true God. He wasn't a pastor of a church like I am. He was a worshiper of a false god or many false gods. He worshiped idols, and he taught others to worship those idols as well. This was Jethro's life. And after Moses, who knows the one true God, he's from the Israelite people who serve the one true God, whose name is what? What is the name of God that he revealed? Yahweh, right? So he has a special encounter with Yahweh at the burning bush. Moses is called by Yahweh, by the one true God, near Mount Sinai to go back to Egypt now after 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of living with Jethro, a worshiper of false gods. He's called to go back to Egypt and save God's people. And then God does everything that he promised he would, right? That's the story of Exodus that we've looked at for all these weeks, adults in this series, right? God does everything that he says he will do. He frees Israel. He leads them out of Egypt. He takes them into the wilderness east of Egypt. He leads them, in fact, towards the land of Midian where Jethro is living. And it's there as the Israelites are camped out in the wilderness where we left them last week that Jethro comes down to visit his son-in-law and all these Israelite people that God has brought out of the nation of Egypt. And it's there, in this encounter that we just read about, that Moses does what every single one of God's people is supposed to do. Moses shares the story of how God saves his people. That's what he wants to tell Jethro about. They catch up. How are you doing? Good, good. How's everyone that I knew back home? Good, good. You know, any, any big news? Anybody get married? They talk a little bit about that. But as soon as they go into the tent, as soon as they go into their house... Moses wants to tell him the most important story ever about how God has delivered his people. The story of all that God did. The story that you and I still know. We don't have to wonder, I wonder what that story was. I wonder how Moses told it. That's the story we read in these first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus. It's the story of how God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, revealed his name is Yahweh, the I Am. He called Moses to go and save Israel. Then God used 10 incredible plagues to destroy all the powers of Egypt, the amazing events that took place on the Passover night. God personally led his people out of Egypt in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They went down following the leading of God to the Red Sea. At the Red Sea, Pharaoh's armies come to recapture them, and God delivers his people by doing what to the sea? He just splits it open. And the people walk across the sea on dry land, and then he kills all the Egyptian army behind them. God saves his people just as he said he was going to do. And that's what Moses tells his father-in-law all about. As they sit in the tent, Moses shares with Jethro, here is who my God is. Here is what my God said. Here is what my God did. Moses intentionally takes time to share the great story of who God is and how he has saved his people. And then we see something incredible in this text. Again, we can miss it if we're just reading quickly through here. But Jethro, a priest of these false gods, a worshiper of idols, responds in an incredible way. Look again at verses 9 to 11. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be Yahweh 
who has delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Look at verse 11. This confession he makes, this statement of faith. Now I know Yahweh is greater than all gods. What an incredible response to the story. A man whose whole life has been worshiping false gods, when he hears the story of the true God and what the true God has done, responds with belief that that God, Yahweh, is the true God. None of the idols he's ever worshipped are as powerful as Yahweh. None of them are real gods. Only one true God exists. This God that Moses worships. This God that Moses has been following. So we call what Moses did here, this type of sharing the story of who God is and what God has done, we call it by different words, words you've heard, I'm sure, in our church. We call it evangelism. Sometimes we call it witnessing. But what we say, what we mean when we say any of those words is simply this. It's sharing the story of who God is, what God has said, and what God has done with someone else who needs to know the story. That's it. It's not that complicated. Evangelism shouldn't be scary. Witnessing is not a hard thing. It's simply telling the story of who your God is and what he's done. And that can be really done over a long period of time. You can get a lot of details. Or that can be a really short few sentences. It's simply sharing the story. And what we see Moses doing as he shares the story of who God is and what God's done in the Exodus events is Moses is doing what every single follower of God should be doing. Throughout this series, if you've been in here as an adult or a teenager, you've heard me say a lot, as we've looked a lot at the faults of Moses, the things Moses did that were wrong, the sinfulness of Moses, right? But here, the example Moses sets is the right example. He did the right thing. He shared with Jethro who his God is, what his God said, what his God has done. We are supposed to be doing the same thing that Moses did. But the the story that Moses got to share with Jethro about how God delivered his people from slavery from Egypt, as amazing and glorious as that story is, and it's got cool parts, right? The ten plagues and the Red Sea, it's all this amazing story. But that story is like a pale comparison. It's like the first page of an even better story, the story that you and I know, the story of how God saves not just from slavery to Egypt, but slavery to sin, You and I know today, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us in here, if you've been coming, you've been listening and learning in this church, you know that the same God who spoke to Moses at the burning bush and revealed his name of Yahweh revealed himself in an even greater way later in the Bible. He's not just the God of the burning bush. He was the God who came personally himself into this world. And the New Testament tells us Yahweh, the very same God, came and revealed himself by entering into human flesh, taking the name Jesus, and bringing full and final salvation to all of God's people. The story that you and I have to share is a story of deliverance, but a much greater deliverance than from, of salvation from slavery. It's the story of salvation of slavery to sin that you and I get to share. And the Bible makes clear, no matter what nation we come from, no matter what language we speak, no matter what color our skin is, no matter what our last name is, no matter what time period in history we're born into, we are all born into this world as slaves 
to sin. What the Bible calls sinners. Kids, all of you in this room were born sinners. Adults in this room, every one of you was born into this world a sinner. This is true of all of us. Every single human being is born into this world sinful. We have broken, selfish, sinful hearts. We don't want to worship God. We don't want to obey God and follow his ways naturally. We come out of our mother's womb sinful. Want it to be all about us, as evidenced by any of us who have been around a baby, right? None of my children have ever come out going, praise be the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> They're screaming, I want all the attention on me. I want all the focus on me. I want the bottle now. I want change now. I want held now, right? That selfishness overflows from the sinful heart that all of us have. So if you think, okay, but that's just baby stuff. I grew up. I'm a little bit, I'm better now. I don't scream and cry for dinner most nights anymore. Let's answer a few questions. And we can do a show of hands here. Kids and adults, we'll do a show of hands, okay? How many of you have ever told a lie? My hand's up. I've told some lies. Okay. Most hands went up. Those that didn't go up, you just lied right there. So, <laughs> all right. 100%, everybody just lied in here. How many of you have ever disobeyed your parents? Yeah, me too. How many of you have ever wanted something that someone else has? Yeah. Okay. How many of you have ever loved something more than you loved God? How many of you have ever wanted to do something other than come to church and worship God? Ooh, that one, that one got a little, a little close. How many of you have ever been angry at someone else and you have said angry words to them to hurt them? Okay, so here's, here's what this tells us. All these things that all of us have done, every single one of us in this room, and a whole lot of other things that we could just, we could spend a whole hour asking, have you ever done this? Yeah, that's sin. We could just keep doing that. But instead of doing that, understand, the reason we all do those things and so many other things is because we're all born sinners. We're all born selfish and broken in our hearts. That's true of every single one of us. And that selfishness, that sinfulness, if left unchecked, it will just naturally grow in us. We're all born with a little sinful heart, and that little sinful heart, just like your body grows bigger, that little sinful heart grows bigger. And so unchecked, you and I will continue to live in sin our whole lives, and that sin will get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. We'll get upset when we don't get the things that we want. We get upset, we get angry, we get hurt when things are not fun for us, when someone else has something that we don't and we want it. Our selfish little hearts grow into bigger selfish hearts as we grow older because we're all the same in this. We're all broken sinners. But here's where the story of God saving from the slavery of sin and the story of you and I being born in the slavery of sin, they come together in one great and amazing way. God's story impacts our stories. God came to save his people from sin, from our wicked, broken, selfish, sinful hearts. He came to save us from that. And not just by making you look really good on the outside. Not just by cleaning you up and helping you not say some bad words when you're around other people. Not uh, doing mean things when you might get caught. He doesn't just want to clean up the outside. God comes and actually wants to give you a whole brand new heart. You're born with a sinful, selfish heart. And God says, I'm going to take that out and I'm going to give you a brand new heart. That's what God does. That's how he saves us. Isn't that amazing? That God would love us so much that he would come to save us that way? Deal with the, the deepest issue, the deepest problem that you have is that you can't change your own heart. 
right? You can change your outside actions. You can learn not to say certain words because you'll get in trouble or you'll get a consequence, but you can't change the desires of your heart like that. That takes God, and God coming and doing that is how he saves people from the slavery to sin. So this is the story that you and I know. This is the story that you and I get to tell, that we get to celebrate and have. And think about this. The fact that Jethro heard the lesser story of just how God saved a bunch of people from an evil nation and an evil ruler. He saved them from things outside themselves. When Jethro heard that, look at verse 12. What happened? Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Jethro believes and wants to worship the God who would save his people from slavery to Egypt. Well, what happens when people hear the greater story that you and I have of a God who saves from the slavery to sin that's in all of our hearts? When people hear that story, they respond the same way Jethro did because the story is even greater. They respond with a desire to worship that God and love that God and follow that God. And so Moses shares and Jethro believes, and that's the example for you and I. We should share our story, the story we know, so that others can believe as well. When people hear this great story of God's salvation, they do respond today. When Jethro responded, he decided to worship God, and that meant for him bringing offerings and making a sacrifice. He brought an animal, and he killed it as a sacrifice to God, to Yahweh. You and I are to respond with worship to God, but not through animal sacrifices. We don't have to do that anymore. The reason we don't have to do that anymore is not just because the times have changed or because it's harder for us to find sheep than it was in Israel. No, the reason you and I don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore is because Jesus came to be our sacrifice. Instead of us having to offer something to God so that he would forgive our sins, Jesus offered himself to God to earn the salvation, the forgiveness of our sins for us. He died in the place of his people, paying the price of dying for sins. That's the consequence of sin. That broken sinfulness that's inside every single one of us means we should die every time we sin. Every time we tell a lie, we should die. Well, that's scary because all of us lifted our hands and said, we all have lied. The good news of the gospel is Jesus takes the punishment for every one of those sins upon himself and gives us salvation from sin. He was our sacrifice. But again, our story about who Jesus is is a lot greater story than what Moses got to share with Jethro because the story of who Jesus is and how he saves us, he came and was the sacrifice for our sins. The story of Jesus doesn't end there. He came back to life. Think about that. Jesus came, was the sacrifice for our sins, died, gave himself in our place, and then because he's Yahweh, because he's the God of all power and might, because there's no one like him, no one who has power or control over him, because he is the I am, Jesus raises himself from the dead and is alive forever. I mean, that's an amazing part of this story. The one we worship is still the one alive and at work today. It's not just about, well, God did some amazing things a long time ago for a bunch of people. God did amazing things and history, real history, yes, but that same God is still alive and at work today in our lives. It's the most incredible and amazing story that could ever be told. 
And so we get to worship and celebrate Jesus with our whole lives. We don't have to just offer a sacrifice of an animal. We offer the sacrifice of our lives. We lay down what we want to do, and instead of living that old sinful, selfish way that we naturally want to do, we get to live with that new heart that wants to obey and follow Jesus. And our whole lives then are worship of Jesus as we obey him, as we worship him, as we sing to him, as we learn more about him through the word of God. And we do it all the time. Because God is not just God over church time. He's God over work time, over school time, over travel time, over fun time. He's the God over everything, over everywhere, over everyone. And we worship him all the time if we want to truly worship him. So God wants us to know today that just like Moses told Jethro the story of what God has done, how Moses was intentional about sharing the story, he wants every one of us to be intentional about sharing the story of the gospel We need to share the story of how Jesus brings salvation from sin. This is our mission. This is the reason God has saved us and put us here where he has put us. This is what we're supposed to do with our life, is we're supposed to tell others the story and believe the promise that when others hear this great story of who God is and what he's done, they too will be saved as they believe in Jesus. No matter what nation they live in, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their background is, no matter how bad they've been in their past, anyone who hears the story of Jesus and believes in Jesus can be saved. God can and will save people who hear about his story of salvation from sin today. That's really good news. That should be motivating for us to live out this mission. So going back to Exodus 18, we see that after God saves Jethro, then he and Moses and Aaron and all the elders of Israel, they come together and they share a meal. They break bread together and they celebrate that now all of them are together part of the family of God. Despite the fact that Jethro lives somewhere else, he's had a background of worshiping false gods, now that he believes in the one true God, now that he recognizes who Yahweh is, they are together in God's family and they celebrate that. Today, every Christian has the opportunity to do that same thing. And today we're going to do that in this service. We're going to be invited to eat bread together to celebrate that all Christians, no matter where we come from, no matter what our last name is, no matter what nation or place we grew up in, no matter what our interests are, our hobbies may be, if we are a Christian, if we believe in Jesus, we are being brought together into the family of God. So the bread that we eat in what we call the Lord's Supper or communion is not just any bread. We're not just going to go out of here and have lunch together, though we could do that and have a great time doing lunch together. Uh, That's fun. But this bread that we're going to eat in the Lord's Supper in this time of communion is a special type of bread that points us. It's a symbol that points us to Jesus Christ and back to this great story of him saving his people from sin. Right before Jesus died, he went to the cross to be our sacrifice, to pay the price of sin for us, he shared a final meal with his disciples and he told them that he wanted them to always remember who he was and what his story was. And so to help them remember that, he gave them two symbols to use as reminders. And these are the two symbols that we're going to take this morning. So I'm going to invite uh, Nathan Hathaway and Jason Keeltz, if you'll come this morning, two members of our church. They're going to serve us these elements bread and juice. And if you're a Christian, if you're part of God's family today, you are welcome to take communion with us. Even if this isn't your home church, even if you're visiting with us today, that's fine. You are welcome if you are part of God's family to take these things. But if you're not a Christian, 
If you're not trusting in God, if you don't believe in this story, you haven't experienced the salvation, you're not asking him for his mercy and forgiveness and grace, then don't take these things. The Bible tells us if you take these things without faith, it's actually sin. So we don't want to do that today. If you're part of God's family, you're welcome to take. And gentlemen, you can go ahead and begin to take the trays. And together on the tray is stacked two cups, the bread and juice are together. Just take one stack and you'll have both the bread and the juice this morning. And if you're a Christian, you're welcome to take this. doesn't matter how old or young you are. Kids, if you're not sure what you should do, ask your parents. They will help you know if you should take communion today or not. This bread that we will share, this cup that we will share as we take communion is for us a powerful moment of saying we are not just the same people who were born into this world anymore. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We're not slaves to sin. The way everybody enters into this world with our broken, sinful hearts, enslaved to those things, we're not that person anymore. If we're taking communion today, it's because God's story has impacted our story. And we are following him because he's given us that new heart. He's taken out that sinful heart and given us that new heart that wants to become more like him. We're trusting in Jesus to save us and we're believing that that trust is well-placed. He will do what he says he will do. He is the God who does not lie, who does not change. So the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, another Christian, another follower of God just like us who just lived a long time ago, he tells us why taking this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice should mean so much to us as Christians and how they are to remind us of the story of how God has saved his people from the slavery to sin that we are all in naturally. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, Christians, in our hand, what we are going to hold is this tiny piece of bread. And it is to remind us in this moment of the gift that God gives us when we trust in Jesus. That when you and I believe in Jesus, and we can do that as a young child, or we can come to believe in him as an old adult, either way, when we come to believe in who Jesus is, when we have this gift of salvation given to us, it makes us part of the family of God. The way that happens is because that Jesus came to this earth in a real physical body. He lived a real human life, and he died a death. He faced the same temptations and struggles that we do, but Jesus was different than us. He was without sin. The bread that we have this morning is unleavened bread. It's made without any yeast in it. It represents to us the life of Jesus, which had no sin in it. He was perfect sinless. He did and was everything that we could never become ourselves. So we eat this bread to remind ourselves and to celebrate as Christians that we are being made like Jesus. He takes our sins away. He gives us his perfections and sinlessness, and we are celebrating the great gift of grace when we take the bread together. If you have that this morning, you can take the bread together as a reminder that you are part of the family of God. In the very next verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, we read, In the same way, he, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now this cup we hold here has a little bit of juice in it. But what this juice is to remind us of is the fact that it took Jesus' blood, his death, to pay the price for your sins. Like I said before, every one of us admitted we're all sinners in this room. We've all done the things that we should not do. This cup reminds us that the price for that sin is that you should die. But if you're a Christian, Jesus died for you. This reminds us of his blood that paid the price, his great grace, his love for us, that he would go in our place so that we can be saved by believing in him and trusting him. Let's take the cup together. Now, every week at the end of our services, we take just a few moments to respond to God. Kids, what these moments are all about for us in this room is that we may need to repent of some things. Repent means to turn away from our sins. Maybe you've been thinking about your own heart and you've realized, man, this last week or this last month or this last year, I've not really been living like a Christian should. And maybe God's reminding you of that. And these moments are for us to repent and to ask God to forgive us of those things and help us change from those things. Maybe there's some things we need to do differently. Maybe there's some ways that we need to be more like God and less like that old sinful heart that we were born with. Because it's a struggle sometimes to live like a new creature instead of the old creature that we once were. So we're going to respond to God. The worship team is going to come. And we're going to sing. And parents, this is a great opportunity for you to lead your kids in responding to God. That could be maybe praying with them. That could be coming to the altars and praying here if you would like to. That may be where you are, asking them some questions and talking with them. Make, make the most of these moments, all right? Let's all of us take a few moments to respond to God while this song plays. You can sing the song. You can lift your hands and worship. You can pray. But let's respond to this great story of a God who loves you and I so much that he would come to save us from the slavery to sin that we were naturally born in. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are freed from that. Let's worship God together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Jesus, we thank you that we have this great story to tell, this great story that impacts our story of how much you loved your people, that you would die in our place, that you would give us salvation, that you would give us real, true life. Well, we thank you for that. As we hear about these things today, as we think about these things today, I pray that as we leave this place, they would go with us in our minds and with us in our hearts so that tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, we would live like this great story really is true, that we would live in such a way that we can't wait to share with other people about who you are and what you do. Help us to be faithful followers of you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for loving us. I ask, Lord, that you would bless each one of us as we go. Every person in this room, from the youngest to oldest, Lord, would you pour out your blessing upon us so that as we walk out of this place, we go with a greater love for you, a greater love for others, Lord, a deeper desire to worship you everywhere and everything. May your face shine upon us. May your love and power be felt by us in your beautiful Wonderful name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.